Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people. Please listen carefully. What is communication? The act of taking a thought from my head and putting it into your essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Usually what I have in my head to the outside world draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. I think it's the ability to share your innermost feelings and thoughts with others. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Talking with Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot, joined by Rachel Madel. Hello, guys. And Chris Bougay. Hello, everybody. Did I say talking with speech science? Did I say that right? You, you nailed it. You nailed awesome. It. Nailed it. I am so happy to say that I nailed that. Welcome to Talking with Speech Science, where speech science and talking with tech join forces on Facebook Live to discuss ASHA's AAC certification. We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network, and we want your feedback tonight, so please let us know. You have a few options. We are live on Facebook, so you can submit those questions below, and we will do our best to try to get to them. You can also email us at speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. What's Talking with Tech's email? You know, we do a lot of our uh, correspondence through Facebook. So you can find us on Facebook, just uh, search Talking With Tech and join the group and send us a message or post in the group. Perfect. You can also text us tonight and we'll be checking that as well. It's 614-681-1798. For those of you on the Talking With Tech side that are not familiar with me, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts and creators of Speech Science. I'm a high school SLP and work in home care with adults currently. I need to put this out there. I serve as an ASHA SEAL for Ohio. I'm the school's rep for Ohio Speech Language Hearing Association. I'm on, and I'm their rep for two other state associations. Uh, joined tonight by Chris Bouguet. Chris, who are you for the speech science people? So I'm one of the co-hosts of the Talking With Tech podcast, uh, and I work in a large school district in the Northern Virginia area as the assistive technology specialist. I've been working in assistive technology and AAC for a few years or so. And, then, <laughs> um, uh, and I have a great time once a week getting on the horn and talking with my co-host, Rachel Madel. You know what you forgot, Chris? Chris is a Chris is an amazing author of a brand new book that's doing really, really well. Chris, don't forget. Don't forget about your awesome book. Yeah, the, the new assistive tech, Making Learning Awesome for All. And uh, yeah, it's like the number two bestseller in the ISTE catalog, the International Education. So yeah, he's it's doing a, really he, well. He's a big deal. I'm happy that I know him. 
so yeah, I'm Rachel Madel. I am co-host with Chris and I have a private practice here in Los Angeles. That's where I'm based, but I'm actually from the East Coast. Um, I moved out here about five years ago and I specialize in children with autism and AAC. Um, and I'm very excited to be here tonight. We're going to be talking a lot about the ASHA certification, what that's going to look like potentially, um, and just get your feedback. I really want to hear what everyone has to, to say about this. Awesome. I apologize. I am sharing our live video feed to the to the masses as we go. So what is a let's just do a brief overview. What is AAC certification in a nutshell? So we actually just had uh, Katya Hill on the podcast. Um, so for our listeners, the podcast will release on Tuesday um, where she kind of talks about it because we wanted to know the details. Um, so it's not nothing set in stone yet. Um, but what we, we learned from the podcast is that um, ASHA wants to have a specialty certification for AAC. Um, and they're, they're following the, the swallowing and the dysphagia model. Um, that was kind of the biggest takeaway is that a lot of what swallowing and dysphagia has done as far as the specialty certification, um, that's what they're proposing is going to happen for AAC. Um, and so it, it would involve um, you know, additional training and uh, a national exam. Um, and so it, there's kind of a lot of nuances to it that they don't have necessarily nailed down yet, but essentially in a nutshell, that's what it would be. Yeah, I think some, one of the big takeaways from the Katya Hill interview that, like you said, will be airing on Tuesday in the Talking With podcast is a little bit of a historical perspective, not necessarily on the AAC certification, but on the swallowing certification. And the idea that once upon a time, uh, well before I was ever involved with ASHA or being a speech language pathologist, uh, swallowing was not part of the purview of, of a speech language pathologist. And as that, be, as that became more and more part of our practice, uh, they felt like they needed to own it. And so a way to own it was to have a certification uh, specific to that domain. So there are five tenets for clinical specialty certification. I'm going to quickly go over them, give all the background we need before we get into the wonderful nuts and bolts of discussion on if we think this is good, bad, or somewhere in between. Uh, the five tenets, the first, it's the specialty area is unique from and does not critically overlap the scope of an existing specialty certification. I'm getting all these from asha.org slash certification. Uh, number two, the specialty area affects a definable population of clients, patients whose needs require a distinct body of knowledge, skills, and experience. Number three, the specialty area represents a distinct and definable body of knowledge and skills grounded in basic applied research, as well as in principles derived from professional practice. Tenant four, the specialty area is one in which individual practitioners currently practice and or are required for delivery of services to clients or patients. And number five, the specialty area has mechanisms for acquisition of the required knowledge, skills, and experience. Mm -hmm. That's about right. <laughs> <laughs> so and yeah, right. That's, I was going to let you guys do it, but you told me last time if... If we don't know, it's probably you. Uh, so far, though, this is only in the second area. And along with augmentative and alternative communication, there's also autism spectrum disorder and voice and upper airway disorders, all kind of at this stage two area. But what brings us to tonight, I am not an AAC expert. I'm pointing up and down. You two are the AAC experts. Overall, just on the surface, I don't see where this is a problem, 
but I know I might be on the other side of this. What are your guys' initial thoughts before we dig in? Yeah, well, that that was uh, that's such a great question. So I think just to to put it out there for people, I think one of the big questions people have is, Matt, you might say that you're a, tell me if I'm wrong here, you'd say you're a speech language pathologist generalist, right? Like you Correct. know about different areas. And I would say that's similar to me. Rachel, would you categorize yourself there, right? But yeah. Then, as as you as you get further into your practice and you spend more time in certain areas, people start to specialize. You know, some people know more about swallowing, more about know more about autism, some people know more about AAC. And so, if you think of it as, as a as a tiered approach, there's a, a baseline tier that's the tier one, if you will, that all speech language pathologists have. And then tier two would be where these certifications come in in these different areas. And then if you think of it this way, there's a tier three, which even be, be a specialty with the area within the specialty area. You know, like um, I specifically know students who are early intervention that need AAC, you know, or I specifically work with uh, adults with ALS and AAC, which is, would be highly specialized. Is that a good way to categorize it, Rachel? Yeah, I think so. And I, I just thought about eye tracking. So I am an AAC specialist who specializes in eye gaze and eye tracking as another example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that would be a way to just to, to, to kind of say, where is the certification coming from? When, when, when Matt, you say it's like a, I'm not seeing what the big issue is, like, this is kind of a, a good thing in my mind. Um, that is where the perspective of people who are in favor of the certification or why they think there needs to be a certification is one, to make sure that speech language pathologist, ASHA, owns it, owns AAC, at least it owns part of it. To say officially that it is within the, the scope of practice of, um, of, a, of a speech language pathologist should be working with AAC. And that's not to say that it's an exclusionary thing. Other people could, uh, other domains also work with AAC. Occupational therapy comes to mind. Physical therapy comes to mind. General education and special education come to mind. Um, but it's it, the, the that perspective is that it's meant to be an inclusionary thing. That that just so just so everyone knows. Yep, speech language pathologists get to work with this too. Is that my making sense there, Rachel? Yeah, no, I think you're you're exactly right. Um, and so that's why we wanted to talk to Katya to kind of get some of the information. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of went back and forth. My initial thoughts with this was, oh, certification, that feels like more training for everybody in AAC. And that feels like a really good thing. Because um, I think one of the challenges that we have in our field is that, you know, a lot of these graduate course, course, um, graduate programs aren't having coursework in AAC. Um, you know, and I was lucky enough to have a course in it. I did not have any clinical experience in AAC. Um, and so generally speaking, I think having more training is always a good thing. Um, but then, you know, we have to think through, you know, the kind of ramifications, right? We have to think through what actually happens when we create a certification program. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that came up when Chris and I were kind of just talking about it was we definitely, you know, spend a lot of time on our podcast thinking about, you know, AAC is a, you know, and everybody, everybody get involved with AAC, everybody on the team be a part of, you know, implementing AAC and facilitating language with, with AAC. And so, you know, the last thing we want is, is something that, that, 
you know, designates us as the specialist um, so that, you know, we're the one in charge. Like I, I don't do AAC because I'm not a specialist. Um, that's my biggest fear is that, you know, people would have that mentality. Yeah, not just, I mean, not just all the other domains like teachers and occupational therapists and physical therapists, but language pathologists saying, well, I don't have that certification. So I, I don't, I don't touch that. You know, no, it's something that we all should own and learn more about. There are already four uh, specialty areas that are uh, licensed or certified. There is the child language uh, and language disorders, the fluency and fluency disorders, swallowing and swallowing disorders, and the intraoperative monitoring uh, that's through the audiology board. Um, those are already four. I work in three of those areas, being child language, fluency, and swallowing, and I don't have certification. Uh, I know one person listening in, uh, Craig Coleman, I believe he is uh, certified through fluency. He and I were able to discuss it just a little bit uh, a couple episodes ago, back on episode 67 on speech science. But my ultimate thing is I'm thinking, even though I'm not going to be certified right away, I can still work in these areas. Is that correct? That's everyone's understanding. Is that what your understanding is, Rachel? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, and and that was kind of the clarification that Katya um, gave to us when we talked to her, was that you know it doesn't really change the scope of practice of an SLP, right? It's still within the scope of practice for SLPs to use um, and know AAC. Um, I think that you know, just going back to the the point I made earlier it's already a struggle in, you know, my current practice, for example, is, you know, these, these speech therapists are like, I don't know, I'm not sure you're the expert. Um, you know, when we talk a lot about the, on the podcast about, you know, let's get rid of this expert model. Um, this idea that I come into a classroom and I'm the AAC specialist and I know what to do. And I have the magic ball that like, you know, does all the things that we need to happen. And so, you know, instead having a collaborative model, and I think that that's the best approach when you're thinking about AAC is how can we all work together? Um, you know, I'm not uh, an expert um, and I don't want to be viewed that way. Now, yes, I have a lot more experience with AAC and I can help coach and train, um, but it's really important that we all look at AAC as a collaborative effort. Whereas I feel like in maybe some of the other specialties, it's not it's not as, the need for collaboration isn't quite as strong. You know, it, when we're thinking about fluency, yes, we need everybody carrying over fluency strategies throughout the day, um, you know, but I don't think the, the stakes are as high necessarily as it is with AAC. We know if the, the circle of support is not implementing the use of a device, it's not going to be effective. Um, whereas I don't know if that's necessarily the case with some of these other specialties. Um, like I said, not to say that collaboration isn't important across all of these domains. Obviously, that's best practice. But I think the stakes are a little bit higher when it comes to AAC. I was going to say, we are taking your questions. and We got a few things that have come through already. So you can either email speech science at our speech science podcast at gmail.com. Text us 614-681-1798 or throw them into the comment section on Facebook. And a couple of text messages that came in, uh, they want to know, would AAC certification make it harder to get non-specialists to embrace AAC? Uh, they also want to talk about, uh, would certification include changing the AAC environment? And another one states, uh, talking about only if certification, uh, I'm sorry, without certification, you must be competent under principles uh, of ethics. And also a shout out to Luke, Lindsay, and Emma, who texted in as well. 
I'm assuming talking with tech, you know who they are. But interesting comments. As an outsider to the AAC world, to someone that only uses it with my students, I'm trying to get them devices. Um, I don't try to be on your guys' level. There's a reason I do the speech science pop version of news versus the talking with tech side. But I've always looked at trying to get the dysphagia certification. That is my next step I want to go and get because I work in home healthcare. I work with adults who trust me that what I'm doing is best practice that is uh, going to help them. And I know that I'm 33 years old. I walk in and maybe to some of my patients that are 95, I look like I'm young and I don't know what I'm doing. If I can add that I'm a clinically certified SLP in dysphagia, there's a little bit more weight. When I work in the schools, do you guys work in the schools? I apologize. I do. You do. Okay. So I have a private practice, but a lot of my private practice is integrating into the schools um, and working with teams in schools. In my school system, in the school environment, a lot of times the school SLP is looked at as not as smart, not as intelligent, not as well-trained as SLPs in the private practice. Uh, This is coming from parents, sometimes coworkers, et cetera. So my thought would be is that if you have that AAC certification behind your name and you come to the parent at the meeting and say, look, I really believe that your student would benefit from an accent with eye gaze, from a Toby device with direct select, from a Forbes device uh, with a switch input, and you have that certification, I could see how that would, uh, how that could actually add some more weight to what I'm trying to do. You know, I, Matt, so that this is kind of an old uh, argument that in the world of assistive technology, we've heard many times because there's a certification that already exists called the Resna certification. There are people in technology who can get what's called their ATP. And uh, this sort of parallels that discussion over there, the Resna certification, discussion we're having with AAC. And the, the point that I'd bring home here, Matt, that I don't think just because you have some certification after your name, that it necessarily means you know what you're talking about. You know, uh, there could be parents out there that have, that have uh, been working with their own children, done their own studies, and, and done way more research than a person who um, passed a test, you know, and <laughs> put letters after the name, or had enough money to, to study and, and get extra coursework, and then, go pa- then have enough money to pass the test, you know, which are all other angles here. Uh, there, I would much rather have people, at, whether I'm a school clinician or a private, private practice or whether I'm a parent or whatever, I would rather have people respect what I have to say because I can back it up with the evidence or the science, hence the speech science podcast. <laughs> but I would rather have them back up because I have, I'd rather have them believe in what I'm saying because it makes a lot of sense rather than the, the letters after my name. And that puts us more on a playing field in my, in today's day and age, you can go out and you can get the facts without having your information and do your homework uh, without having to, to, to one, pay for it or make it very expensive, or two, um, uh, have some certification afterwards after your name to say you, that you know. So uh, I have to catch up on some of these text messages that are coming in hot and heavy, so I apologize. Uh, one of the questions was, and I'm trying to figure out where this one came from, 
this is coming from Dr. John McCarthy down at Ohio University, uh, who was my AAC professor. Uh, he wants to know a question mm -hmm. about who or what, what, would, what about the certification body? Who would be on it? How do we decide who's on it? So I guess that's a good topic. Fantastic question, because um, we asked Katja Hill sort of that. It's not, a, not exactly who, like the names of the people, but there would be a body that, uh, that, it, that is working towards uh, uh, certification and would be the, the sort of the, 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 I don't know what, the evaluators, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and so there are, there was, people would put together a portfolio that would go to this body and they would, um, uh, they would look through the portfolio and say, okay, yes, you've passed uh, stage one of the certification process. Uh, stage two would be to fill in any parts of the port portfolio that you have not yet done. You know, uh, there, there might be a picture of like a rubric that you check off and say, well, yep, I can do that. I can do that. I can do not this one. I better go spend some more time in this little area. And that could be your kind of phase two. And then phase three would be a test that you would take. Um, and that did, we did explicitly ask that to Kyle, well, why a test? Because um, I have my own little concerns about testing just in working in the field of education. Uh, standardized testing is highly scrutinized nowadays, uh, rightly so in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> the, the, what is, again, I can learn the facts, I can spit them back out in a test and does it really mean I know what I'm talking about or did I was just really good at memorizing and getting it out on the test? You know, um, is there a better way to assess people's knowledge and for them to demonstrate what they know. And I think that is, there's performance-based assessments uh, for coming out for students, project-based assessments for, for students. Uh, and I could see that uh, that be the same thing here if you felt like you needed the certification for some reason. Um, why, not just, why can't just you just lean on the body of work as opposed to passing a test? The other thing that is part of the process, um, I believe, is three references. So you have to have three letters of references. Um, my question, actually, is, is this not going to be available to new graduates? So obviously, if I need three references of people talking about my work in AAC, um, it feels like it's not going to be available until you have experience with AAC. Is that what you gathered, Chris? Yeah, I think so. I don't think you can do it when you just come out. But, uh, well, I shouldn't. I should say one of the big selling points that I think Katya was thinking about is that uh, because there's such a lack of AAC programs in, in the university level, uh, if you provided, if there was an AAC certification and your coursework for your school provided you with enough. Um, uh, experience to get that AAC certification, maybe your your professors would be the letters of reference, and you could get it right out of right out of college, right out of graduate school. Um, but that would be a selling point to want to have more AAC courses and and make it a little bit more competitive. That you, I, I want to go to Ohio State. No, I want to go to Ohio University because one of them has the AAC certification and has enough. What we can can sort of not promise you, but say you know what. We, our, our coursework would definitely, when you left, you would have your AAC certification. You'd be able to pass that test, you know, where other universities you're competing against, they might not be able to do that. And that would be a selling point for you to come to their, their institution. 
Yeah. And it would almost be like a snowball effect. Right. And I think she used that exact language when she was talking with us. Um, and I, you know, I think anything that gets more training and education to our graduate clinicians in AAC is a great thing. Um, but I just, you know, I'm happy that we're having this discussion because I think it's really important to really, um, you know, poke holes in it at some level, just to see, you know, what are the actual ramifications of something like this? Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about assessment because this is where I see a certification and additional training um, and some type of you know, uh, system where you prove at some level your competence, right? Um, because I can't tell you how many times I've um, experienced clinicians being asked to do AAC assessments and they have no idea what to do. Um, you know, they might have had one experience with one child using one certain kind of, you know, system. And then they're asked in the school district to perform an AAC assessment, um, you know, which is completely unethical um, that they're being asked to do things like that. Um, but I think assessment is especially important. We know that implementation should be carried out by everybody, but we know that assessment really needs to be done by somebody who knows, you know, the systems they know about you know, trialing and feature matching and all these things that go into an AAC assessment. Um, so I do think that that's a huge, huge value in having a certification program. We got a text. We got a text message from Sarah. Uh, she feel I feel like I'm just the guy holding every all the strings right now and just sitting in the front row listening to you guys talk. Um, <laughs> because I'm learning something right now that I don't know if I don't know. Uh, but anyway, Sarah texts in. Uh, she says that she feels certification seems tailored for SLPs who are doing research. The guidelines for applying the certification seems unreachable for me as an AT consultant in a public school. The number of direct treatment hours and time for money for so many additional CEUs. Um, however, on the other side, we got a text message in that says that she works in a I'm assuming it's a she, could be a he, could be one of the 3%, uh, work in a rural area and run into SLPs who have teams of OTs and PTs, but refuse to look at AAC without an AAC assessment by a certif certificated AAC specialist, which means so many students are left waiting uh, for AAC. Exactly, exactly. You know, that would be the, 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 the opposite viewpoint to what Rachel was saying with the assessment is that uh, if you, you could wait and, and do this, 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 what you think is this great assessment, right? I mean, um, you'll hear Katya Hill, and I, I've heard her speak before, and you'll hear her on the podcast talk about um, AAC assessment, like it has to be done this way. There are, uh, and, and you need to do an assessment, and here's how you do the assessment. And I think all those things are really being questioned now i know i'm one people i'm one of the questioning uh the the the, the veracity of of trialing and assessments the way we've traditionally been doing trialing and assessments um i think there i think you could take a student and you could do an assessment for that student one speech therapist could come and do an assessment for that student they could trial three different things and they'd come up with something and enough another speech therapist comes and does that same assessment on the same student and come up with three different things and then come up with two totally separate answers both equally right you know or both equally wrong i, I don't know that there's um uh, that there's the what's the Help me with the science, Matt. What's the term when you have to the validity? Oh, try inner inner testing or yes, that that yeah. term. <laughs> inner, not inner test validity. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the the but the, the testing validity in general. Uh, I, I question it with assessments the way they're currently done. Um, I think we should all be questioning it. And I think maybe there's a better way. And that better way possibly is to have a committee, like that person was saying, um, 
Connect committee looks at all the features, all the necessary needs of the student or the person, and then that committee, including the student if possible or the person, well, based on these needs, what, it, what exists out there that would meet those needs? And then let's make a decision based on that. Let's try something first and then go from there. We can always adjust if that doesn't work. And that, that's sort of, uh, that, that sort of uh, that's a whole new way of doing assessments when it comes to AAC. Going back to an earlier topic, we were we had mentioned about students fresh out of grad school, and Craig Coleman, uh, who uh, is in our chat, he mentions that with specialty certification, you also you also need to be out of school for five years before you begin the application process, uh, which I'm okay with. Again, I feel like I might be on that other side that looks at the certification uh, as a positive. I like the idea that I can sell myself as a pri if I want to go into private practice, if I want to uh, charge more for what I do as an expert, I like the idea that I have additional letters behind my name. Uh, we are in a field where we give and help uh, people at some of the, the worst of their spots of their lives and sometimes at the best of their lives, but what we do is a service and sometimes we do charge for that service. And if I, if I feel like I'm really good in that area, I could see how having additional letters behind my name would help me set myself apart. If I'm looking for, you know, I have a five and a two-year-old. I, I love my boys. But if either one of them needed an AAC device, an alternative augmentative communication device, I would look for the specialist that is certified. And, and maybe that's bad. I'm looking at your face, Chris, but like, instantly as a parent, I'm going to be like, okay, well, Rachel, she's got a lot of good reviews, but Chris, he's got those, uh, that certification. I trust him a little bit more. And before you answer, Chris, you can always text in your answer 614-681-1798 or right below uh, on Facebook. I figured I might get a little hate for that one, but uh, no, Chris, no hate at Chris, all. But you're, man, you're biting your lip on that. What, what did I say wrong? <laughs> you didn't say anything wrong. I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think that's one of the pros of certification is that it gets it potentially gets you as the person who is certified more money. But I'll ask you this, Matt: Have you seen the movie The King's Speech? Sort of, I, sort of. Uh, <laughs> I did. I, I was taking a drink and I muted my mic. I did see The King's Speech. Yeah. Do you remember the whole point of that whole movie? Is that you don't have to have a certification to know? I thought I thought he was a speech therapist. He was not, well, he was, I mean, okay. he knew how to help him and that the king made his speech, but it's the whole, the whole crux of the matter, the drama around the, the pivotal point at the end of that movie was the fact that he did not have the credentials that all the, the other ones who were supposed to help him did. And it was still, he was the one that helped the, the, the king make his speech. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> I, I might have missed that part of the movie. <laughs> that was the whole movie, Matt. You missed the whole movie? I thought the whole movie was him giving. Anyway, I did see it. I didn't. I missed the part where he wasn't as certified as the others. I just thought it was awesome, Je Jeffrey Roush. So, yeah, that's why he gets he gets like kicked out at the end of, uh, oh. of, the, of the the Buckingham Palace or whatever because he they discover that he doesn't have the credentials. He's just been helping people do this for years and years and years. And again, that is exactly the the fallacy and the and the, the what we hope would this certification would not bring is that you said if you had a child that felt like needed AAC, well, I'm going to go find the person that's certified. That doesn't necessarily mean that that person knows what they're talking about. <laughs> you 
so a couple interesting things coming across the Facebook chat. Um, one, Craig Coleman on there laying down some facts for us. Um, he's <laughs> thank saying, you, Craig. <laughs> thank you, Craig. Craig was a wonderful interview a couple weeks ago, and I got I to gotta promote the speech science. We ran a series on the three people running for the VP of Planning for ASHA, so check that out over at speechsciencepodcast.com. But Craig was saying the board reviews the final product, but each person works with a mentor along the way, and the mentor has to sign off on the various requirements. Uh, he also says with specialty certification, oh, well, we did that one, uh, then you can also use the certification to provide lower cost services and improve accessibility. But Jennifer on there says at, a, at ATIA, uh, there was a discussion about insurance companies using this to deny claims if you don't have the certification. Mm. I never yeah. thought of that. I did not can, think of that. Can they do that? Insurance well, I mean, companies could, can, do, but... can do whatever they want. That's the problem. They just like deny for the most ridiculous, absurd reasons that don't make any sense to anybody. So I would absolutely like guarantee that I'm going to start getting denials if I don't have the certification. Guaranteed. <laughs> that that sounds not good. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. It and that's it's it's such a it's such a hard it's a hard thing, right? Um, I go back to that rural that case that rural you know community that doesn't have the AAC specialist with this you know and if it requires a certification the child's left in limbo. Um, you know I really think it's important. It, it, we talked a little bit about assessment, and I really think that the way our field and AAC should be going is less emphasis on assessment and more emphasis on implementation. Because at the end of the day, there's so many robust speech generating apps and systems out there. And AAC with maybe a device that could be better is better than no AAC at all, right? Like even if you have, we'll, we'll put it in air quotes, the wrong system which I don't think exists because if you have a robust <laughs> language system, it's you can make it work with most kids that's better than nothing, right? And so I feel like it still goes back to graduate student clinician training and making sure that everybody understands this is a part of the scope of practice, you know, under the umbrella of being a speech language pathologist um, and just knowing at a like a very superficial level, um, you know, how to do some of these things. Technology is is the future, right? Like, and that's what I tell a lot of the, the clinicians that I work with, a lot of the teachers, like you really need to just know, you know, some foundations um, in order to be able to practice and and it just, it, it's so important to, to me that um, speech language pathologists feel at some level like they can, you know, try a certain system or, you know, kind of get their feet wet in some respect, um, you know, so that we don't have kids who definitely would benefit from AAC, but there's no specialist around to like, you know, grant them the device. Yep. Oh, sucks to be you. There's no specialist around. So I guess you don't get AAC, right? Like yeah. That's a, it's a huge fear. Amanda sent a text into 614-681-1798, and she says that she's always on a team of more than one SLP uh, as the students have complex communication needs that seem to have outside therapies. Uh, Right now, she always has the uphill battle of parents trusting the private practice over the school's SLP, and now her concern is that while she would consider herself uh, specialized in AAC, uh, this AAC certification would affect collaboration going forward uh, when some SLPs might be certified. And she goes, that is the exact argument she has against the certification. It's always happening through word of mouth. Uh, I think this is in reference to me saying which one the parent would pick. Uh, I don't see this helping the battle as there are many amazing SLPs in the area who might not have had their name uh, out there. Uh, thanks, Amanda, for texting in. That's a really good point, guys. 
Yeah, not just SLPs, um, occupational therapists, parents, you know. Here, here's a question for you, and I don't know this from the other certifications, so uh, it'd be a question for, for, for maybe Greg <laughs> uh, or for maybe Matt, if you, if you know. Um, so, let me, this is going to take a second for me to get there. Mm-hmm. Right now we are, uh, March is, uh, no, sorry, April is Autism Acceptance Month, right? Um, and so that we're leading into that and the controversies are coming out right now about ABA therapy and, and, and that's a, uh, some people are using it as a term of abuse, right? I keep seeing articles posted about that. Um, and so something that has informed my practice over the last number of years has been listening to people with autism, right? Like, Hey, uh, let me learn from you what you think about these different therapies and techniques. And that's certainly something we're trying to do on the Talking With Tech podcast is say, okay, let's get as many AAC users as we can onto the podcast so we can learn from them. Our most recent episode was uh, someone who uses Lamp Words for Life. Uh, Lance McElmore came on to give us his experience. And I wonder about, uh, about the certification from that aspect, meaning um, if you have autism, are you certified to help people with autism? If you, if you are using an AAC user, uh, if you're a Chris Klein or a Lance McElmore or uh, any number of, of, of users out there, could you provide assistance to others who are, uh, who are AAC users? Could you automatically, you just grandfathered in, you're, you're certified because you are a proficient with the device? Or is it be, if you're a user, no, there's a whole still another skill set you need to, to, to help others select their device or other considerations. Um, and I don't know, that's a whole aspect to me that I think we should be considering as, 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 there's, as, we, as the practices have moved on over the years. Um, what about the users themselves? What about the people themselves? You know, If I'm someone who has, because uh, again, I'm out of my depth when it comes to swallowing, but if, if I've been dealing with a swallowing issue my entire life, would I have enough information to be able to help other people who are now dealing with swallowing issues, you know? Or do I need to be certified in it to help? These are excellent questions that I don't know the answer to. I don't have the question to that. I don't have an answer to that. That is a wonderful uh, part. I, I don't I don't know. Uh, Luke Peget says, uh, brings up the comment on the Facebook chat that there are quote unquote specialists who give out AAC certifications. Uh, who teach principles like students with lower cognition are not able to use SGDs, et cetera. Would a certification put a stop to that? Uh, Craig Coleman says we have to remember that specialty certification is not meant to take away from SLP scope of practice. Uh, Everyone can still do these things. It's a way to help point out advanced training and hopefully help generalists uh, know who to contact and collaborate with when they need more help. Um, and then Jennifer uh, on, on the Facebook chat says they have a specialty clinic in Wisconsin who has a wait list of over a year. Others have closed their doors because of poor insurance reimbursement and now school SLPs uh, have taken over the AAC uh, assessments. Uh, this is such a, a tough spot because I see myself as a clinician. I see myself as the only person that can promote how good I am at my job. Um, Last year, I gave a presentation to uh, all of the paraprofessionals. Um, shout out to all the paraprofessionals or educational aides, whatever you, you call them in your district, uh, on AAC. And they were totally buying into what I was saying until I said, oh, I'm the SLP at the high school. And then I could see kind of their, their they like kind of took back a little bit and were like, oh, this, he works here. 
Yeah. <laughs> he just has to do this. And, and I could see like where, and again, I'm looking at it from a very selfish reason that if I have to talk to my coworkers and I say, hey, I'm not just an SLP. I'm a board certified AAC specialist maybe my, my words have a little bit more weight. I, I know we've gotten a couple of text messages and, and Chris, I think you said it as well, that your word should carry as much weight as, as the letters behind your name. But we work in a field where if we see somebody that has a PhD and they make a comment to us, we instantly, or at least I know I do, I, I hold what they say a little bit higher uh, in regards. I mean, you don't. <laughs> I, I absolutely do not. I mean, I, sorry. I mean, that's not to say that I don't respect the, the idea that people who have put the time in, put the effort in, and put the the work in to get their PhD, but I don't necessarily hold their word more than the the the, the parent that doesn't have a PhD that deals with that child every single day, you know, after school and puts the time in. You know what I mean? Everyone mm-hmm. puts time in different ways, you know? Sometimes I might even say that having a PhD is a, is a great way to show that you have enough money to get a PhD. Just <laughs> enough time to get a PhD. That, right? was, I mean, that, that was Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. Matt Hot with Speech Science says PhDs are awesome. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. You, you absolutely, you absolutely I, I totally respect the idea that you, you spent the time to get your PhD. And I, and I, I understand. understand how much work that is, but understand that that comes with having the ability to have the time and the money to get a PhD and other people don't have that, which exact, exact one of the concerns I would have with um, certification. It's the open educational movement is set, is, is taking, um, is as large as it is right now is the idea that, geez, maybe if I didn't grow up in a place that, that, um, that afforded me the privileges that I have, I could still learn the content I needed to learn. I could still, become a master coder, even if I didn't go to a, a university where I had a PhD in coding, because I could learn that content on my own, and show off my skills to my employer, and said, guess what? I'm the best kick-ass coder you ever met. Just give me a chance, right? Because I put the time in just like someone else. I just don't have the degree behind it because I didn't have the money to go to, to pay for a, for a anti-schmancy degree, you know? Um, give people the, the, the chance to, to, to prove themselves on uh, different merits than just a PhD or just their performance. It's kind of like those, we've all experienced the parents that think more therapy is always better. It's always better to have more therapy and individual sessions are better than group, right? We have these ideas in our head. And I think it's the same thing. It's like more education means better therapist. And I would disagree with that. I would totally disagree with that. Um, You know, I learned so much in graduate school, but it wasn't until I actually had clinical practice that it solidified, right? And it wasn't until I actually Mm -hmm. practiced the skills of being a clinician that it actually solidified. Now, what I am excited about from this proposed um, ASHA certification is it does take that into account, right? It takes into account your experience because Mm -hmm. you have to have references. Um, It takes into consideration a portfolio of your work uh, and your experiences and your, you know, the continuing education credits that you've done to demonstrate that you have these skill sets. Um, And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just, you know, it, it keeps going back to my fear um, that people will say, I'm not a specialist. I don't do this. Um, cause I, just because I experience that all 
the time. I can't tell you how many times it's like, oh, well, I don't know. Rachel does that. Like Rachel's the, you know, the, the one who makes the decisions about the device. And I'm always like, no guys, this is a team, you know? And I only, a lot of times I only see kids maybe once a month. I'm doing like a consult. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, you're the teacher that works with the kid every day. You're the parent that, you know, interacts, you know, with this device. Um, You know, this is a group decision. Um, And so anything that, you know, potentially has the, um, the, the power to, you know, make it so that people are like, not me. Um, I think that that's, that's the fear, but, you know, I realize that we all have that as an, in our scope of practice that we, you know, will utilize AAC. And I think just in, in the reality of like actual practice, it's not always the case. I just want to reset the topic for a second. You're listening to Talking with Speech Science. It's the joint live Facebook effort between Speech Science and Talking with Tech. Uh, tonight, we're discussing ASH's AAC certification, and we want to hear from you either speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, text us 614-681-1798, or there's a lively chat going on in the uh, the Facebook group. Rachel, I like how you said that you see some positives there. Uh, and I've been kind of the positive person here, and and I do see some negatives. Chris, what positives do you see coming out of this? Because this might be a train that's leaving the station that we can't really stop, but how can we shape the narrative on it uh, if we do have concerns? Yeah, well, okay. So before I answer that question, Matt, there's one other thing I wanted to say. Oh, yeah. The, the story that you had told about how when you were uh, went to present to a bunch of other educators, how they when they heard about that you work there, they're like, oh, well, he works here. <laughs> um, I think there's a that phenomena exists no matter what you have behind your name or whether you don't. Meaning, mm-hmm. uh, a colleague of mine had this phrase, Sally Norton Dar. She would say, "You can't be a prophet in your own land." You know, I, meaning I, I go and I would present in my school district, and they'd be like, eh, "What?" I mean, it's Chris. You know, like. <laughs> Get me wrong, they, I, I think I'm highly respected there too. But um, I, I make a bigger impact when I fly over to Iowa, you know, and they don't know me. And Matt, if you were to come to my school district, they wouldn't really care that what you had behind your name, other than if you're making a lot of sense and you're and you're giving them uh, strategies and solutions to problems they were having. They listen to you all day long because hey, my gosh, this guy's from over there <laughs> in the Midwest, and he knows what he's doing over there. You know what I mean? It's just a phenomenon that exists about where you're located. I think more than the that the, makes sense. Now, that, to answer your question about what are some of the positives. Like like Greg mentioned, Katya's perspective is a hundred percent in the same realm. Is that uh, their both their point of view? Her point of view is that this totally helps people become. Uh, uh, it helps them be better uh, at their at their craft, and it helps speech therapy in general. Right, that it really um, allows people to specialize and get credit for that special specialization and like it said, i really do see the snowball effect that that uh, rachel had mentioned earlier that we would we would get more universities to recognize that they need to have more work and better coursework uh, on aac because we have so many speech therapists coming out of uh their pre-service educational models right now where they they have never even used AAC or they're, they're, what their their AAC is, is picture symbols. You know, they haven't had a, an exposure to uh, the different apps or working with somebody for an extended period of time uh, or working on a collaborative team to decide what it should be. You know, um, those sorts of experience, I think, uh, you know, based on, 
on my conversations with people who work at the university level seem to be something that the entire field needs more of. And if the certification were to happen and that were to make that happen, then okay, that's that might weigh out the the, the negative side of the exclusionary piece that we're uh, that so many people are concerned about. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the private practice piece because I am in private practice. Um, and I will say, I, I, I could not agree more, Matt. I think that this is something that could completely launch your private practice, um, you know, because people, they want specialists. And I know all about those parents who want the one who is the, you know, highly specialized person doing, you know, the assessment and the treatment. And I think especially in private practice, it's really, um, it's a really great way to differentiate yourself. Um, you know, Los Angeles is full of private practice and private practitioners. Um, you know, there's a ton of kind of general practices, but um, my practice has been so successful in part because of my specialty, right? It's like people come to me because they're like, okay, Rachel, um, you know, she knows AAC and, you know, it's a lot of word of mouth referrals. Um, and surprisingly enough, the podcast has brought a lot of referrals my way. Um, but I, I, I do see a value in if, you know, if I'm thinking just through the lens of like myself as an SLP and, you know, especially an SLP in private practice, Absolutely. Like I would love to be certified. So everyone thinks I'm like, you know, a fancy schmancy like expert. Um, and I get tons more referrals and I can increase my rate because, you know, I'm a specialist. Um, so I think that, you know, there's that of course, but I also think we need to think through the lens of, you know, best practice and how is this affecting our practice? How is this affecting the kids who really need AAC and they really need, you know, teams um, to adopt the mentality of, you know, we're all in this together. And I think that that's, um, that's kind of what we keep coming back to, um, you know, I, and, and just to be clear, I, I can, I think I can sp speak for both Chris and myself when we say like, we're not for or against this, right? Like we have ideas and we're, you know, having a lively discussion about it because we think it's important. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, if, if someone was like, you know, Rachel, how do you feel about this? You know, it would have to be a discussion because I don't have an answer one way or the other. Um, and it also depends on how this all plays out. Um, and what this looks like, like as far as a financial cost, like what kind of financial costs is this going to involve? How much time is this going to take to go through this certification process? Um, and you know, the reality is we're not going to see the ramifications of something like this until it actually happens. Um, but I think that it's, it's good to have discussions like this to kind of figure out what do we think might happen? What are our concerns? Um, so that, you know, potentially in the process while they're creating something like the certification, you know, program, um, you know, hopefully we can, we can voice our concerns and we can have some input that makes a, it makes a difference um, and makes them, the, the people in charge of, of this process um, consider, you know, some of the ramifications. Rachel, we live, I'm sorry. We, we live in that soundbite world. We want to know, are you for or against it? But no, <laughs> it, you bring Tell up me. really, you, <laughs> you bring up some really good points. Uh, Tina texted in to 614-681-1798 uh, and says, you know, what is the anticipated cost of the certification? Um, I went through and I'm looking at, did Katya talk about that? She just said it would, she, yes, she said it would be in line with the rest of the certification. So in line with the other certifications, the one is $250 for the certification. Um, one for fluency is, I just had it up here. And is that an, annual, is that an annual cost or one time? Uh, that is the application fee. And then there are some that you have to recertify. 
So I don't know. So Matt, I, with the last few minutes here uh, of our, and I don't actually, I don't even know how long we're going. So but I, I'm assuming it's an hour. So it could, we could go it as long as it needs to be. We've been 50 minutes. We will, it, it, I feel like the teacher who says, Chris, your paper is as long as it needs to be to get your yes. points out. <laughs> well, so here's something I would, uh, first of all, I would, I want to say that I totally agree with Rachel that uh, I see both sides of point is as uh, and I'm passionate about both of them if that makes sense I hope that comes out in my in my voice um, but something else I'd like for the people who are pushing certification to consider is not just you're certified or you're not certified but those tier three uh, that, that third tier that I, that I had mentioned before um, what if we just focus there for a moment and so what if um, we looked at this new phenomenon, this, this, it's not really that new, but it's been around for a while, but uh, maybe new for speech therapy, um, is this idea of micro-credentialing micro and badging. So that is more of a picture like the scouts, right? You get your, your sewing badge, and you get your whittling badge, and you get your canoeing badge, and you, you've shown your skill and proficiency to mm -hmm. Board that says, "Yep, you get this badge," and and then um, you get to display them in some way. You know, in Scouts, it's little ribbons on your shirt or whatever patches, right? Bear badges. Imagine a ASHA portal, right? That has uh, Chris Bouguet, like a LinkedIn thing. Here's Chris Bouguet on the left hand side, and there's my handsome little picture in the corner, and here's you know my contact information. And then you click on it, and there's all of my badges that I've earned. So I've learned a least to most prompting badge. I've learned an eye gaze badge. I've earned a um, rap, rap, rap strategy badge, uh, which is a strategy for kids with uh, use AAC when they're um, reading, right? All of these little uh, badges that, that, you know, maybe they're a much lesser, maybe it takes me, it's $10 or $15, $25 to earn a badge, which could be way more money for, for whoever the certifying board is, uh, right? And and I could get them in different stages and get the ones I'm interested in because it wouldn't just be for AAC, but could could you imagine that for fluency? Mm -hmm. That for swallowing? Could you imagine that for, for early childhood or all the other different uh, domains? And, and, and having this in complete portfolio that someone could look at and go, wow, this guy's got a lot of badges. Oh my gosh, look at her. She's got tons of badges. Like, and she's got the badges of exactly my kid needs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, now you might be having something rather than just an, a yes, you have it or no, you don't. You'd have a, a, a whole tree of skills that you'd be looking at. I don't know. What do you think? What does everyone think of that idea? Well, when you said that, our little hearts got thrown all over the Facebook post because I guess a lot of people <laughs> like that. Like, the tons of likes. Um, I don't disagree with that. I mean, as soon as you said that, I was thinking back, I, I'm an Eagle Scout. And, but on the flip side, just because I took rowing, just because I took emergency preparedness, just because I took camp cooking, doesn't mean that, you know, right now I, I could when I was 17, but not when I, you know, I'm 33. Those were a lot of years ago. So and, what you're saying? What you're saying is we don't want you on Survivor. You're not. You're not on my team. Correct. I it, it, the naked and afraid. I would get that rating of like 3.0. Like could make shoes out of leaves. But but no. Like my only concern about the certification or with your idea, Chris, is that just like with anything else, we are really good when we get it. But what happens five years from now? Even if it's a five-year recertification period. 
the SLP that I am right now at 33 is night and day different than I am when I was 28. And I and hope that I'm better when I'm 38. Sorry, Rachel. I have a lot to say about this. Actually, I just wrote a note and I'm so happy you said exactly what you just said. Um, so I think one of the one of the things I like about this certification is that they're going to require specific CEUs for your specific specialty. Because right now it's not dictated what's, you know, I could take, you know, a fluency course. And I think that that's important. Um, but I do think that you know, at least in my experience, um, I'm kind of in, you know, my specific area of California, um, dealing with what feels like very outdated principles of AAC assessment and implementation. Um, and so I really want clinicians to have to take specific CEU courses to make sure that they're maintained because we know the field is changing, right? We know mm -hmm. how important continuing ed credits are. Um, so I think that that's one of the benefits for me, um, is that having those specific and targeted CEUs um, to make sure that you're really up to date. Because um, I think a lot of times, right, we're like, I know AAC. Do you actually know, you know, current practice and current research? Um, I think that's a completely different ballgame, um, especially when you've been in the field for, for quite some time. Uh, just a clarification, Craig Coleman let us know that it's $75 a year to recertify uh, in, in his area. So it'll probably be close to that for the the other areas. Uh, we got a text message that says they, they really do appreciate and love the idea, or they like the idea of the AAC, but is the is certification the biggest issue facing AAC service delivery uh, right now in our field? And my biggest problem I have right now is I've got over 15 students that need communication devices. I have two that have devices and I am happy if they are out half the day. So Matt, that, whoever texts that in, it's like they, she looked at my notes or he looked at my notes because as I was kind of putting down all my thoughts, the pros and cons of this, one of the things I wrote down was opportunity cost, right? There's a, there's some great minds right now working on AAC certification. I think, what if we could put those minds at one of these other problems, you know, uh, like, like you just mentioned, the, the, the shortages of people, there's all the people out there that need communication devices that aren't getting them. And that's just getting them. Then there's the actual being able to implement them and implementing them well. And gosh, what if we were building more, um, more modules, more, more YouTube videos, a second podcast, you know, something and what if we were making more rigorous standards for graduate programs? Mm -hmm. Because then everybody would have a foundational knowledge of what they need to do if there's a child who needs AAC. To me, that's the focus, right? Um, if I had a, a magic wand and I could make anything happen, it would be that. It would be clinicians coming out of graduate programs um, would feel really confident about you know, AAC. And of course, they might have to refer out for an assessment and things like that. But no longer are we going to have these cases where it's like, well, I don't know what to do. They're nonverbal and you know, you know, I'm not sure right? At least giving a foundational knowledge of here's what you can do to get started. Because now with the iPad, AAC is so accessible. It used to be like you needed, you know, tons of months of trialing a device and funding and all these things. And now it's as quick as downloading an app. And a lot of these school districts, they have licenses for these apps. So it's really pretty straightforward. Um, so I just, that would be, that would be my, you know, my, if I'm talking about my wish list, it's that. Drop I don't disagree with that. I mean, drop the mic. I, drop the mic, please. <laughs> don't don't drop your mic. I know don't, how much. Don't you drop your mic on the floor. 
but <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like what is, what is the confirmation bias? Every, we yeah. all have to understand that there's confirmation bias in everything we do. Completely. We, we hear the things that agree with the thought we had when we started. And, and I say that because I still feel that I really like this idea. And I only like that idea because I know what it can do for me uh, as a professional. That word. Selfish. That's the word that's popping in my mind. And, and that's know? okay. I'm, I, I, if, that's you listen, okay. if you listen to the Speed Science Podcast, you know that I'm a very selfish, terrible person. No. <laughs> you should know. I'm selfish. <laughs> yeah. but no, like, Spoiler internally, alert. Internally, I also look at it from this point of view. I have to decide which 30 CEUs I'm going to get during the year. And I am so spread thin on trying to make sure that I get all the CEUs I want to look through and get. And, and you know, I, I look at Osla and I look at Ash and say, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And, and I look at it from a, a selfish point of view of saying, hey, if I'm really taking away the finances part, taking away the people believing in me, this is, this is who I really am, not the speech science persona. But... <laughs> If I'm really going to say that I want to pursue being a specialist in AAC, that I'm going to really pursue being the person in Cincinnati that can help more kids and adults get on a device, I better put my money where my mouth is. And if this certification helps me become a better SLP because of it, I'm okay with that because I know that when I am deciding on, do I want to go to the course that I signed up for on Saturday at two o'clock? And it sounds like a very, it sounds like a slock. It's a lot of heavy information or, Ooh, I can go to the one that sounds a little bit more fun. If, if I know the one that's going to be more beneficial because I've already signed up to be that AAC specialist, that's going to give me a little bit more confidence, a little bit more boost in my step to say, you know what? It's Saturday at two. This is the last one. You've made a commitment to your family, the families that you work with. You've made a commitment to be this sort or board certified uh, AAC specialist, go get those CEUs. And that's when I say spe- selfish that maybe I, I need more confidence in my own ability, but I look at what I'm doing with dysphagia and I'm realistically looking at as soon as I can hit all the marks to get dysphagia certified, I'm going to pursue that. Not because I can charge more. I do home health care. My home health care agency pays me whatever they pay me, but because I want to know that I've got some version of CEU training or, or something that when I'm telling a patient what to do, it's not like, oh, I talked to my friend Teresa over at Swallow Your Pride and she gave me ideas or I read this. It's, hey, I have that confidence in myself because I went through this, this training. And I, I don't know, when you mentioned the merit badges thing, that it kind of reminds me of that. Like, I'm proud that I'm an Eagle Scout. I'd be proud that I'm a sort board, can't say that word board certified AAC or dysphagia uh, expert. You know, you bring up a really great point, Matt. I actually never really thought through that lens, but I do think there's a lot of clinicians out there who, especially when it comes to AAC, they feel like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, So 
from that lens, I feel like certification is a great idea because I can't tell you how many questions I get from clinicians who are speech therapists working in schools. And they're like, you know, I have a really, I'm really interested in AAC. I have a lot of kids with AAC on my caseload, but like, I don't know how I become a specialist. Cause, and, and I think it's a gray area, right? I think it's like, who is a specialist? Who's not? And one thing I will say is that at least you know, with a certification, like it's not gray anymore, right? It's like, it's black or white. Um, and I think that people like to, that nobody likes to be in the gray. Everyone likes like a definitive yes or no. Um, and so I think from that lens, you know, getting all of these questions from clinicians who are like, I don't know how to become a specialist. How do I do that, Rachel? And I don't have a good answer for them, right? I'm like, well, um, my answer is typically, you know, do as many CEUs as you can. And I send them a list of CEUs that they can take, um, you know, listen to the podcast, of course, because we talk, you know, all day, every week about uh, AAC and how to implement it. Um, but I, I, my last piece of advice is just get started, just start doing it. Um, you know, so it's just, it's interesting, um, because I just, there's not a clear, you know, path right now. And so I think that this certification at least would give us a clear path and it would help clinicians, like you said, Matt, who might not feel confident in their skills. They need to take the test and pass it to feel like they can do it. So I think from that level, I, I completely can understand how that would be helpful. Chris ain't buying well, it. Chris no, ain't buying it. It's just I don't I don't begrudge anybody their path to learning. And if if that's what motivates them to learn is to get a certification, great. But I feel like certification begrudges other people's path to learning, right? What what I'm hearing as as three podcast hosts, that mentality would be like, why would I listen to your podcast? It's not going to get me certified, you know. As opposed to, I want to learn. I the learning is inside me. I I want to I, intrinsic I, I, motivation. We yes, talk about I'm, this on the podcast. Yes, I am intrinsically motivated to learn because that is as a professional that is what I'm supposed to do, and because I'm a curious person, and I'm going to learn whether there's a certification there or whether there's not. You know, uh, and that's that's the professionals that I want to be working with. The person that's driven to learn, not because not because they they get some because they get it because of the knowledge. I was afraid we lost you there for a second. I know. I was like, oh, no. You paused. You got so excited because you got all the Facebook likes again on that comment. Um, hearts, 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 hearts. <laughs> I do want to reset before we wrap it up. We've been doing this for about an hour and five minutes. This podcast is brought to you by Pearson, the company behind the self, GFTA and the brand new PPVT5 and EVT3. These new easy to use vocabulary assessments are brief and reliable for two years, six months old to those 90 and beyond. Learn more about these new tests at pearsonclinical.com slash exceptional. That's pearsonclinical.com slash X-C-E-P-T-I-O-N-A-L. This is Talking With Speech Science. It is the first of many, maybe, joint efforts between speech science and Talking With Tech. We were originally a family of podcasts before jumping ship over to Exceptional Podcast Network. I threw that uh, link in our, our Facebook chat, and we want to hear from you on this discussion, which is all about the AAC certification through the American Speech Language Hearing Association. So give us a text, 614 681 
eight. Uh, I have a question for the whole group before we wrap it up and then final thoughts. If you could design the certification to, to meet what you would say is the gold standard, what could you add to it or what would you take away from what is already being currently worked on? Um, that's and a it, great question. And if you want some think time, I, I've kind of come up with a couple ideas from that I would see with it. And I would like the idea of, and I was trying to look through the different cert, certificate, the other certified boards. I am losing my ability to speak tonight. I apologize. Um, that I would like to see that time frame shrink down to about every three years for, for AAC, for recertification. Just because I, I uh, put it in, t- in other terms, I coach high school bowling. There are hundreds of bowling balls introduced every year. Kids come to me and say, which bowling ball do I need to buy? I have no idea. I send them to the pro shop because that's their job to get to know what bowling ball to use. I'm not going to send them to the bowling ball shop that hasn't updated uh, their skill set since the 1980s. I like the idea of a shorter every two or three years, maybe even with our ASHA uh, dues, recertify at that point. Because the AAC that I see that I'm working with my kids right now, we're working on getting a Toby device with their eye gaze. Between the time I, or not Toby, I'm sorry, a PRC device, the Accent 1400, when I submitted the paperwork for that one. And by the time I heard back, the eye gaze component had already changed. So I would like to see the recertification period shortened to kind of help keep up with that technology. Uh, Just because if we're looking at speech generating devices, what we think we can do now uh, is going to be archaic by the time that we have to recertify if it's every five or 10 years. So that would be my thing that I would like to see added would be a shorter recertification period. So if the recertification period is every five years at 75, maybe every three years at 40, just to kind of help keep that price, not 500 bucks every two years. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing that I would like to see is, and I don't know if this is possible, this is the idealist in me. Um, You know, I think it's really important that we teach that as, as clinicians, we learn how to coach communication partners. I think mm-hmm. that a lot of times there's this this outdated model of speech therapy and even AAC, you know, specific speech therapy, um, you know, that we have to combat. It's like, okay, I'm across the desk from a student and like now I'm doing speech therapy. Um, you know, we know that collaboration is key and we know that if we can coach communication partners, I'm not just talking about AAC either. This is all of the kids that we work with. Um, you know, we need to coach communication partners to facilitate language all day long. Um, And so that's something that I would love to see, um, you know, clinicians feeling more confident in their ability to coach, um, you know, communication partners, because we know that that's going to indicate whether or not a child is successful or not, Um, whether, you know, that be with AAC or, you know, articulation or, you know, language, it doesn't matter. Um, So I just, that's something that, you know, as as our field, um, not even AAC specific, but especially when it comes to AAC, that's something that's really important. Rachel, it's like we do a podcast together (laughs) because you you took the words right out of my mouth. And one of the skill sets that you want to make sure if there was going to be certification that, that, that people knew would would be how to coach other people. And coaching is a skill set that is currently not even talked about in AAC. So mm-hmm. it's all about 
about direct therapy models as opposed to coaching other people. Uh, yeah, yes, totally agree. And I, I would add that, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that we also need to, for our, our speech science listeners who don't necessarily listen to Talking With Tech, we need to specify, Chris and I are very passionate about using the word coach and not train because it's two very different things. When I train somebody, it's like, well, Rachel's the expert and she's telling me exactly what to do. Whereas coaching is, it's a process. It's not a one time, I'm going to teach you how to program a button and then I'm going to walk out the door. It's ongoing and it's collaborative. We work together with teachers and with other SLPs and with parents um, and we coach them just the same way that you coach bowling, Matt. Um, so I just wanted to make that, that differentiation because it's really an important one to make. I went to a CEU training actually the other day on how to coach as a supervisor versus teach as a supervisor. So uh, I love that we're using coaching technology or terminology versus supervisor uh, terminology. Uh, what are your yeah. guys' closing thoughts before we wrap this whole thing up and, and tell them about where to find the Katya interview and all that, but just some closing thoughts on this. I think uh, this is, this is tough, but I think that we need to think big picture and we need to really think about the impacts that we can have as clinicians. And, you know, it's, it's our duty as speech language pathologists to afford every child and every adult the opportunity to communicate and to not just communicate their basic, you know, wants and needs, but to go, you know, well beyond that into other, all of the areas of communication that you and I you know, we're all able to do that. So I think that, you know, upholding that communication bill of rights, um, it's really important that AAC, you know, everyone has access to AAC if they need it. And I just think that that should be a universal standard. And it doesn't really necessarily relate directly to this AAC certification. But I just think that we can think through that lens when we're thinking about, you know, how can we set up a certification process um, that really values that and, and makes clinicians feel confident in their skills to, you know, use AAC, recommend AAC, and then of course, of course, refer out when, you know, they feel like I don't have the skill sets to, to do what I need to do. Um, but just rem rem reminding everybody that AAC is for everybody. It's not just for speech language pathologists. It's for parents and teachers and peers and siblings and everybody. So I feel like that's, the, that's my biggest takeaway from, from everything is that AAC is for everybody. I think my final thought here would be for would, would be a call to the people who are putting the AAC certification through ASHA and to ASHA in general for all the certifications to look at the contemporary models of, of evaluating what pre people know. Um, I, I mentioned it before, the micro-credentialing and badging. Yes, uh, we'd, have, we'd still have to things we'd have to work out, like how, how frequently do you need to update your credentials there and your badges. Uh, how do you specify the last time you got the badge in a specific thing? But I, I feel like those are manageable problems that uh, if we put the right minds on it, we could uh, we could solve, you know, um, as opposed to sort of an old model of you're either certified or you're not and you pay every year to, to, to show that you are. Um, I feel like that's a of a, of a just as an old school model that we we have the technology nowadays we have the we have the, the ways to collaborate nowadays that we don't need to look at that as the as the way to to prove that you know what you know 
Uh, and so that's what I would urge everyone to look at. Uh, Asha, I would, I, would, I would really urge Asha to look at uh, this conversation. I, I hope someone from Asha <laughs> listens to it and sees that there is a, a larger body out there that isn't just blindly thinking the certification is a good thing. Um, that's not to say that I think, like I said, there's definitely positives to it. Uh, and I definitely see where the perspective is coming from, from the people that are trying to make it a, make it a thing that happens. Um, but just understand that there is a controversy around it, that it isn't just, uh, it isn't just well, that's a good idea, you know. Um, there's a lot more here to take, take into, into consideration. My closing thought on this whole thing is that I love the idea that it has sparked conversation about AAC. Uh, from when I was a, I originally went into this field due to family history, thinking that I was going to be focused more on swallowing and swallowing disorders. And I took a class with Dr. McCarthy, who had texted earlier, and I knew instantly, no, that's that's where I want to be. And I didn't know where to start. And I started by talking to salespeople at different communication device companies and going, I don't like you because all you're doing is trying to get me to buy your device and not help me as a therapist. And I've grown, I think, into a person that can identify the right device for the right student. I love that certification or not, it's coming to the forefront of every SLP's mind. What is it that they said that there's 3% or 5% of eligible AAC users actually have a device? And if, if anything, if it just sparks one more person to say, hey, maybe I can do AAC in the schools or AAC is home care or AAC in early intervention or private practice or anything, I'm okay with it. And if it gets more communication devices uh, into the hands of the students or the adults that need them. I, I really don't care if we have to steal them from other people and then give them to the right kids. I'll, I'll go to Best Buy at night and steal a bunch of iPads and put them into the right hands, but I'll need some money for gift cards to buy the, the apps. But in reality, I, I like that this at least has sparked AAC and brought it back to the forefront where it really needs to be. Yeah. And it's the future. You know what I mean? It's like, we know that technology can help children communicate, not just nonverbal children, not just children with autism. Uh, you can use technology in so many innovative ways. And so I think as a profession, we should just really start getting comfortable with it. Um, and I think a lot of us are, but I think that it's, it's an important discussion to have. And I'm just so excited we were able to, to sit and chat today. And I'm just so excited that there were so many people that joined us. Yeah, shout out to everyone who text, who sent texts into the phone number 614-681-1798. Uh, a big thanks to everyone in the chat, including Jen Reed, uh, Luke, who told me I mispronounced his name and he said it's Padgett, maybe? Hopefully that's right. Hopefully that's right. Craig Coleman, Jessica Ross, Tina Moreno, uh, Britt Lauren, uh, who else is in there? Jennifer Schubring. You put the effort in to, to write us. We're going to give you the effort to get the shout out. And if I mispronounce your name, I, I'm i just a dumb SLP. Uh, Victoria <laughs> Starr. Uh, who else is in there? Sarah. You're Green. not certified, Matt. You're not certified. I, I'm not certified in reading names. I apologize. <laughs> uh, I probably forgot somebody. Oh, I think Luke says I said the name right. I did it. So if people yeah. are listening... You're wondering where the Katya interview is going to be. Is that going to be over on Talking With Tech? Yes. Yep. It's so bit.ly bit slash TWT podcast. 
You're always good for that, Chris. What is that again? (laughs) That's bit.ly slash TWT podcast. TWT podcast. Like talking with tech podcast. Oh, okay. Bit.ly TWT podcast. You can also head over to exceptionaled.com and you can click on the different podcasts. That's that's how I'll just do it for that way. But <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to separate this this episode. And I think, will the interview, I guess, be on speech science, the this part will be on speech science. And then the interview for part two will be over on Talking With Tech. And hopefully we can get a couple crossovers, crossover listens. So that would be very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for the speech science listeners and for everybody on Facebook that's a speech science person, uh, Talking With Tech is obviously an AAC podcast. What do you guys got coming up over the next couple of weeks? What? Yeah, what kind of tricks do we have up our sleeve, Chris? Well, well I knew I know that we have an interview with some university uh, students and some research that, that'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks. So uh, shout out to, uh, to all the different people out there that are working in university level and doing research there's not enough of you and so we wanted to call that to, to light and bring some attention to that so that's an episode coming up i am really excited i'm doing an interview tomorrow with melanie penzak she teaches mindfulness to speech therapists so she talks um you know a lot about how can we be present when we're not only doing therapy but also a lot of self-care strategies um so yes we do focus on aac but we also have lots of fun guests that um aren't necessarily aac specific um but are complimentary so lots of fun things in store and for the talking with tech people who don't know what speech science is, speech science is more the pop news, I guess, of speech therapy, where we interview people uh, somewhat related into the field of speech or language or disabilities, and we answer the question, uh, what is communication? Uh, we just got done this week talking about burnout or moral injury uh, in the field, so you can check that out at speechsciencepodcast.com. Uh, and next week, uh, we are doing the ASHA General Election Special, where we will kind of go through uh, everybody that's running, and we're going to run in, in their entirety uh, three email or three emails, three interviews uh, with the candidates for the VP of Planning uh, at ASHA. So. That's kind of what we are. So we are, as a speech science podcast host, I'm so excited that I got to finally hang out with the Talking With Tech crew. Yeah, we're going to have to do this again. I'm really, this is fun. I think we should. It was great, Matt. It's such a great idea, and you do such a great job. This is fantastic. So for Rachel Madel, and I'm going to end this like I do on my podcast unless you guys want to do a different ending. Are you okay no, with this? you're like the best radio voice oh, ever. Thanks. It's all those years of undergrad money wasted. Um, for <laughs> Rachel Madel and Chris Bouguet, I'm Matt Hot. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow because in a storm, the oak will look strong, but it will crack. The willow will bend and return to form. Make sure you are the willow in your life. For Rachel Madel, Chris Bouguet, I'm Matt Hot saying... So long, everybody. See you guys. Our intro music is Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music is The Spellbreaker by Tritachion. It's licensed under an attribution license. And our closing music is The Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license.
This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.